And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will, be, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. Possibly the most well-known and most quoted passages of the Christmas story, that was the angel's song. And it does so much simultaneously that we will unpack, unpack today as we wrap up our Christmas series called Heaven and Nature Sing. If we haven't met, I'm Brian. If we haven't met, it's almost too late. But uh, it's good to be with you uh, here in Bellingham. Hello to everyone in Skagit at Jim Church and certainly to our online campus. Well, first, <clears throat> let's make sure we know how we got here I think part of the challenge of Christmas is that we go through the motions of Christmas, right? Thanksgiving happens. Day after Thanksgiving, we put all that away. We go decorate for Christmas, cut down the tree, trim the tree, deck the halls, start doing all the Christmas things. And then we get to December 24th or 23rd in Skagit, and we do our Christmas candlelight service. We sing Silent Night, blow out the candle, and we get to Christmas. And on the 26th, we take that big, deep breath that... Oh, we survived it again. And I'll tell you this, as I was rereading and rereading this passage over and over again, I, I got emotional several times over because I thought, I know this story. I hope you know this story. And yet there are some things that jumped out that I hope we can rediscover together. So first, how we got here. We've, we've met Mary, at the, the cast of characters we know, right? Mary... We experienced her surprise and her joy and her obedience. We've met Elizabeth. We, we've met Joseph and experienced his surprise and his conflict and his obedience. We've heard from the angels. We've met the antagonist who forces this long journey to Mary and Joseph's present setting. If this were a movie, at this point, you would not want to leave your seat to go get a popcorn refill because everything in the story has led up to this very moment, which would change the course of history. This passage is why we get to deck the halls, why we get to rock around the Christmas tree, why we get to wish for our two front teeth and for those that we love to come home for Christmas. This passage is why jolly bearded men get employed in December. This passage is why we roast chestnuts on an open fire. The Christmas we know, the Christmas your kids know and your grandkids know hinges on this passage. Christmas begins here. This passage describes what the angels sang. This passage describes that holy night. This passage describes why there's joy for the world. And ultimately, this passage describes why we can trust God, why God is the ultimate and perfect author. This passage is how we know what true love would look like. 
And this passage is when God fulfills his plan, his promise, and showcases his immense, unmatched love for us. This passage is far more than the climax of the Christmas season story. It is the Christmas story. So let's dive in. We're going to start in Luke 2 in verse 8 where Dylan began and it says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now you know this likely, that shepherding was not a great job. It was a lonely, dirty job. One commentator described tending sheep to watching paint dry. It's a lot of standing and watching, and then watching, and then standing, just a lot of the same old thing. Oh look, the sheep is grazing, again. So here's the idea that that shepherding was not really a prestigious position. It's why to be a shepherd, you really had to be a humble person. You had to understand service and duty. Before David was a king, he was a shepherd. Shepherds were considered unclean because of the duties that, was re- that were required of them. And their work prevented them from regular attendance at the temple where they could be cleaned. Shepherding doesn't keep regular hours. Sheep don't clock in and clock out. So it was critical for sheep to be watched at all hours, at all times. To be a shepherd was to be the lowest of the low positions. Nobody would envy you as a shepherd. In fact, it would be the opposite. You would be looked down upon. And yet, God chose them, the shepherds, to be part of an ordinary night for an extraordinary song. God in his amazement, could choose anybody in any way, but he decides to choose shepherds on an ordinary night for an extraordinary song. Along the South Atlantic Ocean, you will find an island called Tristan da Cunha. It stretches about 38 miles, and as of last year, population was 241 residents. Land is communally owned. Outsiders are prohibited from buying land there. The economy is based on farming and fishing and very, very limited tourism. There is one post office and mail is dropped off 10 times a year. There is no airport. The only way to get there is by boat and that takes you six days. All homes have a landline. The kids are like, what's a landline? Anyway, a landline, and there is limited, limited Wi-Fi at the government offices and a internet cafe. There are no, no mobile phones. They do not get reception. This island has been named the most remote place on earth. So imagine if Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, was prepared to announce the newest theme park location, Disneyland Bellingham. One can dream. One can dream. It's my dream every night. My prayer every night. Anyway, Bob and his team decide we're going to announce Disneyland Bellingham. And the place we're going to announce it is this little island, this gigantic announcement we're going to announce here to all 241 people. And in the hopes that it will travel via landline, 
two-way radios and snail mail 10 times a year. Not a chance, right? An announcement of that magnitude would need fanfare and fireworks and publicity and crowds and confetti. It would be live streamed. It would be on social media instantly. So consider then that God could have announced the birth of his one and only son in any way he wanted, and yet the perfect author chooses this great grand news to a world that he loves so much to some lowly shepherds living out in a field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Like when we have a baby in 2023, we post it online, we print announcements, and we mail them out to everyone saying, we had a baby! Look at our baby! Our baby is so cute, right? Look at our baby! Not God. God tells this life-changing news to the world to a group of dirty shepherds in a field in the middle of the night. And not by accident. This is just another amazing reminder that God's plans are never our plans. And it wasn't just an announcement. This was an extraordinary song. As we've looked at the last two weeks, these are songs of Christmas. And this particular angelic song was declarative, it was directive, and it was certainly celebratory. So Luke continues, and he says this, after talking to the shepherds, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Your version might say, afraid. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is the third of the angelic announcements. First to Zechariah. The angel says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Then we see to Mary... Angel saying, do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. And now for the third time, that same phrase, don't be afraid. And, and like those before, afraid or terrified is probably a kind understatement. You see, to this point, the shepherds have likely experienced a very normal, low-key night. And then this happens. But we can relate in some way, right? Because fear precedes joy. Think about the, the final driving test and then the joy of the freedom of having a license to drive. Or for the skydiver, that ascent up to 5,000 feet and the airplane door opens up, that's probably, you're probably afraid, there's probably some fear with that, right before the joy of the thrill of freefall. Or, or this, the final moments before pregnancy or of pregnancy, sometimes that can incite a certain amount of fear, especially for the dads right before the joy of delivery and that sight of your newborn child. And with all due respect, I love how the angel here is like, hey, yeah, you shepherds down there, chill out. Don't be afraid. I don't know about you, 
But when I'm told not to be scared about something, it actually only heightens my fear. And, and these shepherds had great reason. They were in the presence of not just an angel, which would have been terrifying on its own, but they were in the presence of an angel with the glory of the Lord shown around them. That word is critical, glory. This wasn't just like good lighting or a, a smoke machine or a burst through the clouds. Surrounding him was God, revealed in the capacity in which they could handle. No wonder they were afraid. I mean, following his death, Peter, James, and John would have a similar experience seeing Jesus, seeing Christ's glory with a transfiguration. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, get up. Here it is again. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw Jesus. John would write in his gospel, we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only. So sure, they're a little bit terrified, surrounded by the glory of God. The angel then brings some good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. To the shepherds, the angels bring this amazing news. Back in 2016, Pastor Bob said this about shepherds. He said, there are the shepherds, who are ceremonially unclean and considered far from God. Pastor Bob continued. He said, on the other side of the spectrum, you have the angels bringing this angelic message from God, both ends of the spiritual spectrum. And yet, the great news, the good news of great joy was for both ends and everyone in between. Remember, biblical good is contemporary great. And biblical great is contemporary awesome. So what, he's, what the angel's saying here is, I'm bringing you some great news. Actually, I'm bringing you some amazing news of astounding joy. Correct that, scratch it. I'm bringing you excellent news of extraordinary joy. Actually, no. I am bringing you shepherds some massive news of monumental joy. And what news does that angel bear? It's certainly to the shepherds, but it's news for all the people. News that one is fulfilling, and this is a big, big deal. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's OT, Old Testament this news is a fulfillment. This is also news that brings great joy. Notice he doesn't say news that will bring happiness. Happiness, you probably know, it's fleeting, it's temporary, it's conditional, it's oftentimes very dependent. We think, I'm having a bad day, but a, a latte would sure make me happy. Oh man, the, this weather is so tough, but a trip to Hawaii would sure make me happy. Happiness is temporary and conditional. So here he's saying, I'm bringing you news of great joy. And joy is exclusively sourced by the Lord. This joy is for all people, and it's found in Jesus. And this news, it's detailed as well. He, he, their angel is saying, here's where you go. Here's how you'll know. The destination, yeah, don't, don't go to a hospital 
Don't go to an inn. Uh, and, and actually, when you're looking for the baby, uh, look for a, a horse trough uh, wrapped up in some cloths in a manger. But then here's what's awesome, is that God instantly ups the ante. All, I, we don't know how much time has passed if the shepherds are like, still kind of wide-eyed and what's going on, if it's been minutes, if it's been hours, if it's been seconds. But here's the word we know. Because God goes all in, he puts, he puts out all the stops when he says this, suddenly, suddenly. I love the word suddenly because you could replace it with immediately or at once, instantaneously, without warning. Suddenly what? Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying what? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Oh, suddenly this one angel becomes a great company, a huge host. Now it's not that one angel, the angel could not handle this, but I would offer that this was in response to the magnitude of the announcement that God moved from a solo to a chorus to share in this news. And sometimes, yes, sometimes a song is best sung with others. I remember my senior year in high school, I was cast as Harold Hill in The Music Man. Now, I could act. I mean, I wasn't getting like Oscar nominations or, or anything, but I could portray comedy and, and tragedy, so I could act. I, I could not dance. I still can't dance. And so the choreography was rough. If you ever find a copy, don't watch it. But I couldn't dance. I could act. But then there was singing. I mentioned the show was called The Music Man, right? I mean, I remember auditioning and, and uh, the drama teacher kind of pulled me aside and said, can you, before he announced the cast, he's like, Brian, can you pull this off? And I said, yeah, I can definitely pull this off. And so we, we got, I got cast and rehearsals are going and everything's going great. And, and as for singing, uh, I could sing most, most of the songs with um, practice and a lot of prayer. But uh, there was one song that was intended to be a solo of the music man. And, uh, well, at one particular rehearsal, uh, Mr. Webley uh, kind of gathered the cast together and said, Hey, everyone, I have an idea. Let's support Brian and let's all sing this song. <laughs> yeah, support me on this song. You mean drown me out. And... Uh, and they did, and I'm eternally grateful, actually. But the, the point is, sometimes songs are sung best in chorus. And if there was ever a song that's best sung like that, it's this. Because this was unprecedented news. News had never been like this before, heard, printed, read, or otherwise. This was unprecedented. The whole thing. The virgin mother, the heavenly father, the birth of a child that would save the world, who was being born for the express purpose of bringing peace and hope and love. What had been foretold was happening. This is big. I can only imagine that the angels, as they stared down at these wide-eyed shepherds, staring back at them, were wanting to shout, okay, 
Uh, did you hear the one? But now we're all saying this. We're not stuttering. This is the best news ever. This news is unprecedented, unmatched, unparalleled. This will be the inspiration behind Charles Wesley's song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In fact, the first verse details the angel's declaration. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, that huge heavenly chorus, and with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. And it doesn't stop there. Some of your favorite Christmas carols all point to this story. It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near to earth to touch their harps of gold, peace on earth, goodwill to men, from heaven's all-gracious king, the world in solemn stillness lay to hear what the angels sing. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Fall on your knees and hear the angels' voices. Or the first Noel, the angel did say, was to certain poor, lowly shepherds in their fields as they lay. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in the reply, echoing their joyous strains. And what did they sing? They sang, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Translated, this is glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. We sing this every single year. But to know that that song comes from this song and this story and this moment. And we say, Gloria in excelsis Deo. I mean, what else is there to say? God, you are so good. God, you are so faithful. God, you are the embodiment of love. God, you are to be trusted. We praise you. We glorify you. We thank you. And, and this is what's interesting about glory to God in the highest and peace among, on earth towards men, is it's really two-part. Uh, commentator John Trapp would say this. In this idea, let God get all the glory so that we might have the peace. Give God all the glory upwards and let us accept and embrace the peace He's sending down to us. But wait, there's more. Luke continues, he says this in verse 8, when the angels finally wrapped things up, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Following this heavenly angelic display, Luke turns to the shepherds. And for a bit, we're going to get a glimpse of what they're up to. These lowly shepherds, these dirty shepherds, now had one job to do, and that was to go. Now, it would not be unreasonable for these shepherds to justifiably say, well, we've first got to find someone to cover us and, and the flocks, but they didn't. Or, or they could have said, we are much too 
unimportant to be the first to see the Son of God. But they didn't. And they could have said, well, that sounds like big news. But we are pretty comfortable right where we're at. But they didn't. Much like Andrew and Peter and James and John, fishermen, they would never have the chance to meet likely. They dropped everything and they went. They said, let's go. It doesn't happen every day today, right? We need the details, the timing, the cost, the location, who's going to be there, what's it in for me. Like in any aspect, it's a dinner party, it's a business meeting, it's coffee with friends. Whatever it is, we need the details. How often does someone text you and say, want to get together? And you say, yep, I don't. Brian, want to get together? Sure. When are you thinking? Where do you want to meet? What do you want to do? I need the details. These guys didn't. They said, it's time to go. Let's go. They left their sheep on the hillsides and hurried toward the town to find Jesus. Have you ever thought, though, what fueled this instantaneous and impromptu travel? What inspired their obedience? Curiosity? Possibly. Uh, fear? Maybe. Uh, pride? Like these lowly shepherds got called to the big show? Perhaps. But I would offer, I would offer that it all begins with wonder. I believe, I wonder if their wonder fueled their going. Their why was fueled by their wonder. You see, when we find ourselves in wondering, we find ourselves in awe. We find ourselves in astonishment. For me, I can, I can recall a handful of moments where I was in a time of wonder. Uh, certainly the birth of my two kids, being in the room with Shauna and, and watching the miracle of their delivery. I was in wonder, in awe, in astonishment. I had the chance to be on the field at T-Mobile Park. And as a baseball fan, like, it was cool. And to be out there and to look up into the stands, to look at the scoreboard, to take it all in, like, I was in awe. I was in astonishment. I was in wonder. A couple of years ago, we went to Hawaii, and we splurged on this one year, on this one trip, and we got a helicopter ride. And I remember as we flew around, we ended up over a pod of whales, and then we, we flew along the coastline of Maui. It was incredible. I was in awe. I was astonished. I found myself in wonder. Lloyd Stiley says this, a sense of wonder comes when our expectations are exceeded. Wonder is being astonished at the fantastic and jolted by splendor. I love that definition. Wonder is being astonished at the fantastic and jolted by splendor. I believe I would offer to you this is what propelled the shepherds to go. They were in a state of awe, astonishment, and wonder. Their expectations of a regular old night was vastly exceeded by an angelic interruption. And see, our wonder inspires our worship. When we find ourselves living in wonder, it can inspire our worship. You see, for Christ followers, we can draw closer to God 
and have a posture of worship in wonder, right? Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. In my quiet times, when I have space, when I create space to wonder about God, His goodness, His love, His compassion, His plan, I find, if I look in my journal, that I've asked the same questions over and over, regardless of where I've been for that time of quiet, for that intentional time. My journal will say things like, God, why? God, how? Whether I'm looking at a waterfall or walking along the water or uh, at Cedar Springs in just the quiet gardens, our, our wonder of God inspires us to worship Him. It's the only thing we can do because we can't understand Him. We can't ask Him. So all we can do is wonder and be astonished and in awe of Him, and that creates a posture of, God, you are so good. God, you are so creative. God, you are so loving. You see, this side of heaven, my questions may remain unanswerable, and yet my wonder continues to drive my worship. David would cry out at one point and he'd say, you are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. Later, he would write in Psalm 98 this, shout for joy, not shout for happiness, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, burst into jubilant song with music, make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for He comes to, before He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. He's saying, hey, Whatever's happening, whatever's going on, let your wonder inspire your worship of Him. However that looks, whether it's quiet, whether it's singing, whether it's clapping your hands, whatever it is. William Barclay observed this, It is a lovely thought that the shepherds who looked after the temple lambs were the first to see the Lamb of God. As the shepherds arrived, their wonder turned to worship. Might this be true of us today? Not just December when it's really easy because we're in the Christmas spirit, but might we have a wondering worship posture all year long? Wonder does something else. It inspires us to witness. Wonder inspires witness. Last month in November, our family traveled down to Phoenix to spend Thanksgiving with my wife's extended family. And at one point on our flight, I had the window seat, and so I was looking out the window, and we were flying over the Grand Canyon. And, and I am one of few I know that have never traveled to or seen the Grand Canyon. But I'm looking out my little window, and I am like a kid in the candy store. Like, I can't get enough. And I'm like, I'm a total goober, because I'm like looking like this, and like, I want to see it all. 
I'm so excited. I'm like, I'm, and I'm boomering it because I've got my phone out and taking pictures and video of, and what am I ever going to do with those? But I have them all on my phone and I'm so excited. I'm so in awe and astonished by the Grand Canyon. I was so moved and inspired. I had to share this incredible moment with someone. So I turned to Dylan who was sitting in the middle seat. And I pull his ear pods out. And I'm like, Dylan, you got to see this. And he was kind of upset. And I'm like, just buddy, just look. And so he leans over me to look at the window and he sees the Grand Canyon. And he was astonished. He was in awe. He too was wowed. And you know what's a big deal when your 12-year-old son, who was just watching Disney Plus or whatever it was, was captivated. You see, wonder inspires us to witness or tell others about it. We can't help it. This picture here, you can't see it from where you are, but this picture is me baptizing one of our online attenders, Marlene, who lives in College Station, Texas. And back in March, I got to travel to College Station, Texas to baptize her uh, in a pool right in the shadow of Kyle Field, where Texas A&M is. And, and what's really cool is that she had this great cloud of witnesses there and we got to celebrate with her. But nine months later, like that was in March, it's December, nine months later, you can't get Marlene to stop talking about this moment. She finds reasons to tell you about her baptism. Wonder inspires us to witness, to tell others about such cool things, God moments in our lives. The shepherds, after seeing Jesus, what did they do? They didn't didn't hoof it back to the hillside. That angelic announcement, they then saw the Christ child. The night was young and they were ready and just getting started. Luke records in verse 17 and 18, when they had seen him, Christ, they spread the word. Witness what they concerned, about, what concerned them and what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. They were amazed. Your version might say astonished. Imagine hearing from the shepherds, and even if you didn't totally understand everything, it was clear something significant had happened. And that witness That witness of the wonder they experienced, it spread like wildfire. You see, in wonder, we're called to witness. You're called to share and tell and spread the good news of this great joy to all who will listen. As the highly respected evangelist Buddy the Elf would say, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. I think he got it right. Christmas is all about wonder, this amazing, astonishing single event that would forever change our world and our life. The night God would reveal His humanity of His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would never die but have everlasting life, is the unchanging message of Christmas. It's the wonder of Christmas. But here's the thing. Jason Fritz would say this, For this joy to be received, it must first be heard. For a joy to be received, it first must be heard. And to my knowledge, angels are not making late night appearances in fields anymore. That means the onus is on you 
you online, you Skagit, and me. It's up to us to tell others about Jesus, to bear witness because of our wonder of it all. To go, to go tell it, to go tell it on the mountain, over the hill, and everywhere. And what news do we have to tell? David Owen would say this. David Owen had an incredible quote. He said, Christmas is more than just a baby lying on some hay. It's the Messiah's entrance into the world. In other words, Christmas is far more than a fancy dinner and stuffed stockings and family gatherings and lights on the house and a decorated tree and that perfect Christmas photo you put on Instagram. Strip all of that away and Christmas is about the wonderment of Jesus. Check this out. This Christmas message, J.I. Packer said this, the Christmas message is that there is a hope for a ruined humanity Hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory. Why? He continues. He says, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. A baby born to show us love, to show us how to live, and ultimately to die so that we might live. Wow! I'd love to live in that wonder. So here's a challenge. Christmas is nine days away, and I don't know about you, but I've got a lot to do in nine days. But in the next nine days, there's going to be a lot that's going to vie for your attention. Shopping, and parties, and deadlines at work, and TV specials, and end of school and Christmas concerts, there's going to be a lot vying for your attention and your resources. There will be an endless amount of distractions for you this season. But let this be the challenge. Be captivated by wonder. Be captivated by wonder, certainly for the next nine days, but beyond as well. It was in December of 1965 that A Charlie Brown Christmas would first premiere on CBS. And, and despite all of the traditions and great things going around, around him, Charlie Brown was just not having it. Found himself depressed and uninterested in Christmas. And as the movie ends, you likely know how this ends, Charlie Brown and Linus find themselves backstage because they've been doing this Christmas play. Charlie Brown says, Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about. And Linus says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And Linus, with his blanket, walks out on stage, asks for the lights and the spotlight, and he quotes Luke 2. And in the same country, shepherds were there abiding in the field, watching over their flocks at night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you great good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an, a chorus of angels, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Goodwill towards men. 
And then Linus walks backstage and he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I think Linus got it right. This next nine days, be amazed by wonder.